So let's look at Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they, were no longer, they, were no, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. This is the true word of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that in your word we see again and again that there is more than just what we can see and hear in this world. There's something much bigger. There's something that we are part of, even here and now. Father, thank you for showing us Jesus, for showing us something of the life that we can have beginning here and now, and then completely as we stretch out into eternity. Help us to hear your word and to trust your word. For your word testifies of Jesus Christ, and in his name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Well, maybe some of you have traveled down to the tropics. By, the, by tropics, I do not mean Kansas, okay? Think South Florida, the Caribbean or Hawaii, the Yucatan, northeastern Australia, someplace like that. If you were to sit on the beach down there, you could see some beautiful, beautiful things. Pelicans just sitting there on the wooden posts, sailboats out on the water, waves rolling up onto the sand, sunset behind the clouds. Sitting there, you wouldn't see how different everything is below the surface of the water, out of sight. If you put on a snorkel or scuba deer, which I've never done, you might go down and see things there that you'd never seen before, and it's different when you see it in person. Maybe schools of those bright tropical fish darting around coral reefs. Dolphins swimming around, either chasing the fish or coming over to check out what you're doing down there. Crabs or lobsters scuttling across the bottom. Manta rays gliding past. Eels poking their heads out from the rock piles. Jellyfish drifting along on the currents. All those things and so much more that you would not see from above you'd have to just plunge right in. Now think about Moses. Moses has spent 40 years watching the sheep of his father-in-law. What he was used to seeing were things like the mountains, the rocks, the heat shimmering, that clear blue sky. But suddenly everything was so different. What he was not used to seeing was 
flames on a bush that did not burn up. He was not used to hearing a voice coming from a strange bush. He never considered that he might someday hear the voice of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He never considered the possibility that God might tell him to go back down to Egypt, even though there's an arrest warrant out for him, and demand that Pharaoh release the Hebrews from slavery. So, with all these things he'd never seen or heard or expected, what was he supposed to do? Should he stay where he was, with the familiar? Well, after a bit of arguing with God, he did plunge right in. And he witnessed miracles and wonders that were unlike anything that people had seen before. One plague, one right after another, struck the Egyptians until finally Pharaoh gave up and let God's people go. He saw an immense pillar of fire by night and smoke by day that led the Hebrews safely on the right path through the wilderness. And also on at least one occasion, I can think of, actually came around behind them to protect them from the Egyptian, Egyptian shoulder, shoulder, soldiers that wanted to drag them back to slavery. He saw the, not shoulders, soldiers, okay. He saw the sea split open in two so the Hebrews could escape with one wall of water on their left and another wall of water on their right. And then they could turn around and see the water crashing down on their pursuers. They could come to Mount Sinai when all that was rumbling with lightning flashing and the voice of God thundering and terrifying the Hebrews. And Moses went up on behalf of God's people because they were scared, went up to the top of the mountain and came back down with a written agreement that God would be their God and they would be His people and they would keep His commandments. An agreement written in stone by the finger of God. If Moses had turned away from God and stayed with the sheep like he had for 40 years, he would have missed out on all of that. He would never have seen or been part of all of those wonders as God was demonstrating His power and His authority and His providence and His care. Moses plunged in and he was part of all of that as it was happening. So that's Moses. Let's look at Elijah. Elijah lived a long time afterwards. He lived after the reign of King Solomon during a time when most of the kings in the Holy Land were following evil. Elijah had been a prophet of God for decades. And yeah, with him there had been miracles, there had been confrontations with King Ahab, who deserved them all. He had a showdown with the priests of Baal, you know, hundreds of them, at the top of Mount Carmel, where the God who was real answered him with fire and then with rain. And when it was almost time for Elijah to leave this world, he called a young man whose name was Elisha to come and follow him. If you have trouble telling the two apart, Elijah came first. Elisha was the one he was mentoring. They came in alphabetical order. 
That always helps me. So, <laughs> I don't think God worked it out that way, but it helps me personally. Elisha was leaving, living an ordinary good life. He was out plowing his father's field at the time. He could have stayed there with the oxen. He could have led a more normal life. But he left that behind, and he went and he learned from Elijah. And he started living an extraordinary life. His apprenticeship lasted about seven or eight years. He shadowed the old prophet, learning anything that his mentor would teach him. And the day came when it was time to say goodbye. Elijah told him three times that he was going to go on by himself. Three times Elijah insisted that no, he was going to stay with him. And when the two of them came to a town, there were always prophets in those towns who would go and tell Elisha that Elijah would be leaving. And Elisha pretty bluntly would tell them to be quiet. He didn't want to deal with that. But everything was about to change. All of a sudden, he would not have his mentor any, with him anymore. Very shortly, he, Elisha, would be the prophet. Could he trust the call of God when Elijah was not going to be there to guide him? Could he learn to discern the voice of God on his own? Would he be able to make that change from being a loyal follower to a leader? Or should he go back to what was familiar and safe? Would it be better to go back, get some new oxen, and spend his life, the rest of his life basically behind the plow? The moment came, and suddenly he was surprised by one wonder after another that he had not expected. Fiery chariots with fiery horses came down from the sky. A whirlwind came and was swirling and lifted his mentor Elijah up into the sky. Elijah's cloak fell somewhere nearby. And Elisha went and picked it up and rolled it tight into a nice long shape, kind of like a staff. Used it to strike the Jordan River. And then seeing that when he did that, the river actually parted for him. And he could cross it on dry ground. Just like Elijah had done a little bit earlier. And like Moses had done a long time earlier. But now, it showed him that now it was up to him now. And Elisha, like his mentor, went from place to place with miracle after miracle, all of them testifying to the power and the authority of God. Elisha had not turned away from God. He had plunged into that call to follow. And he witnessed wonder after wonder. His life was changed. So these three men, Moses, Elijah, and Elisha, all left their comfortable, familiar lives. Moses left the sheep and returned to Egypt, where it was dangerous. And later he led out over a million difficult people, gripers and complainers, and he led them for 40 years through the wilderness. Elijah left his hometown of Tishbe in Gilead 
to confront that evil King Ahab and to tell him there wasn't going to be any rain. So you'll know who the real God is. And they spend part of those drought years next to a stream and with the ravens bringing him his food. And then later on, he ran to hide from Queen Jezebel because she was trying to kill him. Elisha, the one he was mentoring, left the farm. One time his duties led him to the town of Dothan where the enemy surrounded the city so he couldn't escape. They wanted to catch him. He was a troublemaker. And his, Elisha's helper was scared, and then Elisha prayed that his helper could see what was really out there. And suddenly he could see that there was a whole army of angels protecting him. No reason to worry. Each of them witnessed wonders that you and I have never seen. At the same time, their lives as prophet, prophets was very difficult. It didn't stop them. They served the Lord anyway. All of those wonders, out of all of them, not a single one of those wonders saved them. None of them knew what was going to happen to them when they did plunge into that life. What God called them to do was dangerous. Maybe it's more, you're lying on your own sensibilities, maybe they wouldn't have gone. But they did go. They trusted the Lord. At times their faith was battered, sometimes it was trembling, sometimes it was scorched, but their faith was in a real God. And God counted that faith as righteousness, just like he did for Abraham, and just as he does for you. And God used them to bless God's people. Now, all of those centuries later, there was another wonder to witness. One day, three of the disciples, Peter and James and John, walked up a mountain with Jesus. There was going to be a big change coming for Jesus. Pretty soon the time was going to be over for traveling from town to town, teaching people about sin and about forgiveness and about heaven and so much more. Suddenly everything was going to change. Jesus would actually be arrested, put on trial, tortured, executed. It was going to be an exodus for Jesus. I know in one of the gospel accounts it uses the word departure, but that's a translation of the word exodus. The word exodus in the Greek literally means the way out. Like Moses leading the Hebrews out of slavery in Egypt and into freedom. But now it would be Jesus leading God's people out of slavery to sin and into the freedom of forgiveness. So at this moment, who could possibly be better to have come and appear with Jesus than Moses and Elijah? The one who had led God's people to Mount Sinai and the one who had been hiding at Mount Sinai from Queen Jezebel. Jesus would be taken to a different hill, a smaller hill, just outside the walls of Jerusalem, 
And there he'd give his life for us. But while they were talking up on the top of the mountain, the three disciples woke up. Peter and James and John were all of a sudden witnesses to Jesus, shining brightly like some kind of being from heaven. They also saw Moses and Elijah, both of them glowing too. But maybe the more significant part is that these were two men who had, it had been a long, long time since they lived on earth. Of course, Peter and James and John were confused. They were terrified. This was not something that they'd expected to see, certainly not that afternoon on the mountaintop. Maybe they thought they'd see it when their time on earth was done and they'd come into the home of God, but not this day. And as they woke up, okay, I know, when I wake up, I'm confused. Okay, I don't know what time it is. I don't know what's going on. First thing I check on is where the cat is. Okay, because <laughs> she's down by my feet and I don't want to kick her. Takes me a while to figure, oh yeah, okay, I have church today. I better get up, get my coffee drunk. But they, when they woke up, they had no idea what was happening. But while they'd been sleeping, they had been plunged into something that they never could have imagined. In a way, in a way they were like Elisha. Elisha. They had also been following Jesus from place to place for about three years, listening to him teaching, observing the way that Jesus interacted with people and the way that Jesus treated people, witnessing miracles, reminiscent of Elisha walking with Elijah. Peter and James and John knew Jesus as a teacher, like no other, a storyteller, a healer, a traveling companion, a calmer of storms, a provider of large quantities of bread. They knew his face. They knew his voice. They knew his mission. After three years with him, it had become very comfortable and familiar. Suddenly everything changed. They saw Jesus, who was both in that moment very familiar and also very unrecognizable. They heard Jesus, but he was talking about being executed. Their lives are suddenly changing. Their travels with Jesus, the rabbi, the shepherd, the healer, was going to be coming to a close. If they continued to follow him now and stand by him now, if they were to take that plunge, they would have to follow him to the cross. Maybe, also, there would be a cross for each one of them. It would become very dangerous to be a follower of Christ. Peter, seeing all of this wonder, wanted to stay right at that place and right at that time. He could build shelters for Jesus, for Moses, for Elijah. A booth for each one of them, like the ones that people built as Moses was leading God's people through the wilderness between Egypt and the Promised Land. But they weren't going to stay there. Time was carrying them to the cross, and nothing was going to stop it. What would the disciples do? Avoid the cross, avoid this exodus, 
Avoid this plunge into a different life that was going to be unpredictable, very unfamiliar. For a lot of churches, we're celebrating transfiguration today. The season of Epiphany is ending. On Tuesday or Wednesday, officially, the season of Lent begins. Epiphany has been a season of light. Now Lent will be a season of shadow. In Epiphany, God's Word shines the light on who Jesus is. Lent brings you to a time of repentance, a time of honest examination of your sins, a time of searching our own souls, a time to change and to grow, a time to cut off and leave behind the things that God confronts in us, a time to grow instead in the ways of God. One of many things to remember during this time of transition from one season to another is that Moses, Elijah, and Elisha, as well as Peter and James and John, were never, ever alone. God called each one of them into a new life. God stayed with them as each of them lived that new life. Moses, for all those 40 years of traveling, could look and see that there was a big pillar of fire or smoke that was leading him so he could lead the people. Elijah heard the voice of God, not in the wind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but in that small, still voice. Elisha enabled his helper so that he could see that the city was surrounded not just by an enemy army, but by the angels of God. Peter and James and John lived in the promise that Jesus would be with them always, even to the end of the age. This promise is not just for the, all those wonderful people in Scripture. God's people are never alone. That includes you. Not alone today, certainly not alone on the day of resurrection. There's so much that we can learn from Scripture and there's so much more that we cannot see yet. We're still in that place where it's like watching the surface of the water, oblivious to what's below it. All we have is someone's word to trust. There is so much more that we can't see, but we can know about most of it in Scripture, and we are getting closer to actually seeing it ourselves. But while we're here, God's calling on us also to take that plunge of faith, of trusting Him, of relying on Him, of following Him. Through all the challenges of Lent, up to the promises of Easter, and ultimately into the very home of God, day by day, moment by moment, always in the care of God a gift from Him, by His grace, that's ours through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for being with us here today in this world. Not just on Sunday, not just here in church, but every day and everywhere. 
Thank you, Father, that there is so much more than what we can see, because a lot of what we see is not, is not good to look at or to hear. And yet there's so much still that truly is wonderful, that really is a miraculous. We take a lot of it for granted. We have so much to thank you for every day. And thank you, Father, that there is more that we don't see or hear yet. But we can know it. We can be prepared for it. We can plunge into that life that is everlasting and eternal in your home as we trust Jesus Christ because he's the way there. He is the way and the truth and the life. Thank you we can know about it. Thank you, Father, for calling us to live in, your, in trusting you and live in that confidence of what we will see is truly a wonder and a miracle. And Father, we're looking forward to that, to that moment. But help us here and now as we live in your promise. For we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen.